This is The New Right, a podcast for the lost arts, reclaiming the literary holy land from the heathen. This is Dan Baltic. This is Matt Pegas. And this is episode 47, where we are going to discuss the oeuvre, the, see, the French word for uh, the corpus of work of uh, none other than Mel Gibson. A, uh, a man we are all very familiar with. Uh, in fact, I believe Twitter is populated by uh, many uh, Mel Gibson fan handles and accounts. And uh, for good reason, because to the extent that there is uh, an our guy in Hollywood, well, it's probably Mel, isn't it, Matt? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, as Dan said, today we're going to talk about the body of work of Mel Gibson and just Mel Gibson as a artist and as a filmmaker. Um, obviously, as you alluded to, there's a lot of kind of meme appreciations for Mel Gibson um, on on Twitter in terms of, you know, people using handles and, and posting memes. I would make a distinction here. Uh, you know, there, there's a kind of one side where Mel is celebrated on our side for certain things that he has said uh certain things he said under the influence of alcohol or you know in, in other compromised ways but nevertheless that things that people either agree with or simply find amusing kind of similar to kanye west more recently but uh there's this other side to mel beyond just kind of appreciating that transgressive public figure stuff which is that uh, and this really comes through in the movies i think he really is a great great artist and a great filmmaker uh, and one of a of a right-wing bent i mean not not i don't need to go into a diatribe comparing and contrasting him with kanye west but you know more recently this sort of kanye stuff um it's a little more jokey and you know some people may like his music but no one would really call his music right wing uh, even if he now is that politically uh whereas with mel um you know all of the sort of more meme level of appreciation of him aside um, works like The Passion and Apocalypto and Hacksaw Ridge to to a slightly lesser extent, but nevertheless, uh, and some would argue Braveheart as well. You know that they that these are are very um, not only very great films, but, but but ones that have a real you know if not right wing, then at least you know very viscerally uh, appealing message about violence and masculinity. Um, you know, my own history with Mel, I, I saw The Passion while ago basically like probably like in middle school you know in kind of a catholic context um and i hadn't really you know i I'd, I'd, obviously as you said a lot of people talk about mel online uh, i hadn't really delved back into his work i kind of thought it might be good and probably underappreciated for sort of political and politically correct reasons but I, I didn't necessarily think that he was like one of the great filmmakers or anything 
And when I more recently, um, after a trip to Mexico, turned on Apocalypto, I was quite blown away with just how um, deep, nuanced, and artistic uh, of a film that is. And it kind of Absolutely. made me realize I, I'm gonna. I actually haven't seen The Passion in some time. I have to delve into some of his other work, uh, which I intend to do. I know you've seen somewhat more of it, Dan. Um, yeah. But yeah, that was basically my takeaway: realizing that. Yes, Mel Gibson has said this, that, and the other thing. Uh, but also, I mean, he's a he's a real one. He's a real artist and a real filmmaker. Yeah. So I had the same experience with Apocalypto. I um, always thought it was just some like kind of random action movie and uh, set among the the Mayans in in Mexico. And uh, so I decided to watch it. I think you know it was bandied about on right wing Twitter as a movie to see. I knew that Mel directed it, and I was blown away. Like we're we're gonna talk about it more, but uh, yeah, it's a tremendous movie. Like Mel, essentially, his the movies he's directed are are few. He's directed Braveheart, he's directed The Passion, he's directed Apocalypto, he's directed Hacksaw Ridge, and they are all yeah. phenomenal. And yeah. so, like first and foremost, Mel is an amazing artist. And uh, I mean, that is true of, I, I think, you know, many people would say of Kanye as well. But uh, as you note, Kanye uh, is, you know, his art is not necessarily, it's not right wing in any discernible sense. Yeah, which would be uh, whereas, hard for, yeah. maybe it's an unfair comparison, but nevertheless, yeah, definitely. Whereas Mel's films are, um, you know, they are great works of art but they are of course influenced by his perspective so this goes back to i think that kind of uh heuristic that we that i set up or that maybe it was lomez who set it up and i i copied it from him yeah. but uh that we were not looking for um we're not looking for right-wing art we're looking for right-wing artists making art yeah. And if you're a right-wing artist making art, your art will reflect that worldview. And so in very obvious and uh, aesthetically significant ways, Braveheart, uh, The Passion, uh, Apocalypto, and Hacksaw Ridge all um, have a... Uh, and uh, Apocalypto, I said Apocalypto. Yeah. They all um, embody this uh, right-wing kind of ethos which essentially boils down to a sort of uh uh not right wing like uh coke brothers libertarian whatever like no this is like the the old right this is um this is the the right that we talk about on our side of twitter this is traditionalism mm -hmm. yeah no absolutely um it's not with, with some exceptions that you can definitely point to um there's not a lot of ideology in these movies as much as um yeah as you said reflecting a the traditional value right wing scheme. somebody what's that a traditional value scheme bringing traditional it back value to scheme tradition. and also a uh for lack of a better word based understanding of violence masculinity and struggle um which i think kind of leads us to what you yeah. um, pointed out and what I completely agree with as the sort of overriding theme of all Mel Gibson's, um, all, certainly everything he's ever directed, uh, you could even probably make some, some kind of aesthetic argument that he embodies this in his presence in film he's simply acting in. Certainly Absolutely. in uh, 
certainly in uh drag it across concrete which we'll talk about uh but basically in all his in, in all of his work mel is concerned with uh you know transcendence redemption and or some kind of triumph uh one through significant suffering often you know violence and suffering this is clear uh in the christ you know in the, in the story of christ uh, for sure um but it's also definitely with william wallace in uh in braveheart yelling out freedom as he's being tortured at the end and also in the character in apocalypto uh who i believe is named chaguar paw uh because we are dealing with a uh you know tri- a member of a tribe but nevertheless you know it shows him he goes through harrowing experience, almost basically being sacrificed in a Mayan city after having his, you know, tribe totally destroyed. Um, you know, from there, Apocalypse kind of becomes this harrowing chase movie through the rainforest, and you know, harrowing, harrowing violence and other, uh, you know, natural calamities ensue. Uh, but we just kind of pointed this as a through line uh, in all of his work. Is this? Uh, this idea of uh, you know of heroism and and overcoming or even you know religious transcendence in the case of Christ uh, coming through um, coming through violence and coming through suffering it's obviously something that is uh, very much brain and then Hacksaw Ridge as well it's slightly different there the the, the that that um, Hacksaw Ridge is is notable um, unlike most of his other films except I, I suppose uh, with the exception of the Passion. Uh, um, the protagonist is a pacifist who so does not commit violence, um, but he is, you know, he, he wins a, a Medal of Honor. Um, you know, he's he's obviously adjacent to violence. So that is a slightly tweaked there uh, theme. But nevertheless, um, it, it really is a through line that's obviously on his brain. Yeah. Yeah. And that they all transcend, achieve a, a kind of spiritual victory through... Um physical suffering through their own physical suffering and that obviously is you know very um you know front and center in the passion and i think that um that idea of victory if not victory on this earth but a um you know an eternal Mm -hmm. victory through suffering is something that he probably has come to through um through christianity <clears throat> yeah, definitely. Well, that's the other point to make here. Um, obviously, a lot of people on our side and listening to this podcast will be very sympathetic uh, to Mel's traditional Catholicism. And he's not just, you know, your average trad cap either. He is a state of a contest, or at least his father was. It's not always crystal clear where Mel precisely stands. But in, in any case, he's a, a very... Um, you know, firmly believing uh, in traditionalist Catholic. I say not always sure where he stands because I think he has some relations with, you know, the mainstream of the Catholic Church too. So Sede Contism, for people who don't know, is obviously very and explicitly separate from that. His father, Hutton Gibson, who we'll touch on because it would be remiss not to a bit later on, um, you know, is is a prominent, um, you know, Sede Contist, you know, uh, basically denier of the legitimacy of Vatican II and all of the popes. Um, that have come after that to say today contism meaning uh you know basically vacated seat that there is no rightful pope following vatican ii that is the basic state of a contest belief um that's a bit of an aside but it, you know it's part of the context basically mel was was brought up uh with that religion and um still obviously has um respect for it in some kind of way his 
father passed away, I believe, two years ago. Um, and but he Mel fund Mel obviously is very rich from his movies. He funded a one of the very few uh state of a contest churches um here in Malibu, California, or n- nearby where I am oh, wow. in Malibu, California. Uh, which is uh, so I say, I was to say, you know, Mel has said you, something, you gotta check it out, man. What's that? Oh, yeah, it's very hard. It to, I've tried, uh, <laughs> I've tried, uh, and it's naturally extremely private, it's on gated land um you know very far from the road there uh, might be a website but it's not it's not um and many would argue that this is a weakness of certain ultra traditionalist um you know schools of thought uh well or it's a, is it a weakness or a strength i don't know but basically you can't just join up like i, I don't know you have to to know somebody or or, or you know prove your salt or something which which makes sense given again just how I mean, I don't think most of our listeners need a, an education in this, but just given how traditionalist, like this isn't just like conservative Catholicism. This is a radically traditionalist um, posture of of, uh, of a group, you know, um, a, a to- completely not only against modernity, but against uh, uh, the Catholic Church as it as it stands now. So it's it's naturally controversial. Mel has some kind of relation to it. He's also in some ways a man of the world and and in some ways uh has relations with the mainstream of the catholic church so it's uh, being long-winded here not exactly clear where he stands to the state of a contest question but in in any case it was what he was brought up with and it deeply that level of traditionalism deeply deeply informs his work um of that there is no doubt and i think i was trying to make another point before i went on that aside which is that um regardless uh you know you could be a traditionalist Catholic, or you could be an atheist, and you could still, I think, see that um, that regardless of where you stand on the literal truth value of these religious views, um, that his passion—no pun intended—the uh, the, the, the 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 seriousness with which he takes that view is what animates his work. Um, there's no doubt about that. Obviously, in the passion, but even um, just with this theme of transcendence through suffering. Um, even in something totally pre-Christian, uh, right up until the very end, like Apocalypto, um, that same understanding uh, of the world as uh, as a as a place of suffering, but the, but of the possibility of transcendence through that, which is you know obviously very Christian, uh, yeah. is what animates this guy's work. The same way, you know, uh, drugs and chaos magic animated William S. Burroughs, where you know what I mean. Like it's like, yeah. So yeah. crucially in uh, Braveheart in his moment of, um, you know, uh, doubt and pain as it were, uh, as he's, you know, he's not nailed to a cross, but he is being tortured William Wallace on something that is like a cross with his arms mm-hmm. splayed out and his legs. And I believe he's being disemboweled and yeah. he cries mm-hmm. out freedom at that moment. And that is like a very, like, of course, uh, you know, intentionally Christ-like moment and mm-hmm. of course, during the Passion, you know, Jesus's uh, moment of doubt and pain was, you know, portrayed uh, as as it was, you know, in, in the Bible. And he is, you know, um, on the cross crying out, uh, God, why have you forsaken me? What what have you? And that that is all portrayed. And um, in uh, it, it occurs to me now as we're saying this that, you know, at the kind of the climax, the crescendo of uh, Apocalypto, 
when he is about to kind of like face his um he's about to be he's, he's running through the forest this jaguar paw guy he's being hunted mm-hmm. by this rival tribe this rival tribe and they're about to catch up to him it's about to be the end and then suddenly he sees the conquistadors coming in on their boats he right. sees the cross and at that moment it's like the apex of you know uh kind of if not in his case, physical suffering, the, you know, the moment of truth when he is about to be slain, he sees the, you know, the cross. And so that is, that's a a theme that's repeated throughout his movies. I'm sure there's something Mm -hmm. similar to it in Hacksaw Ridge, where at the moment of kind of like greatest, um, greatest self overcoming or at the moment of like greatest sacrifice or, you know, uh, uh, w- w- which is a sort of self overcoming to kind of submit mm. to one's sacrifice. Uh, that is a holy moment, and that uh, that I realized just as I'm thinking about it. That's in uh, all of his movies. The, the definitely, yeah. Is... I mean, in Apocalypto, crucially, he doesn't end up getting killed in that moment, but it is kind of that same thing where the cross comes at a moment of extreme uh violence and, and and danger it's kind of interesting uh i'm trying to remember the exact mechanics of the scene but basically it's him and the two mayan uh the two you know warriors from the mayan civilization that were after him to kill him they kind of come to the beach i believe at the end of the chase and they're all so awestruck uh by these boats of a sort they've never seen with the crosses on the sails that um I believe what happens is Jaguar Paw retreats to the woods and yeah. the Mayans go out to meet um, the conquistadors. And yeah, I, I don't want to do too much of a quote unquote closer reading on that. I don't know what the significance is. If the Mayans being from the technically more advanced civilization are supposed to be more ready to meet that head on or, or, or what the significance of that is, but yeah, but basically, um, you know, they, they go out to meet, the the boats and and jaguar paw the protagonist of the movie uh retreats into the woods with his spouse and he says she, i think his spouse is like uh his wife you know is like should we should we go out and meet them or, or something it, it, again in the yucatec mayan language because that's what the entire movie is in which we'll talk about more another um quite striking aesthetic choice uh but uh, and then he says uh no uh, you know they seek a new beginning uh, is what he says. And it's left ambiguous, but they, you know, there's this notion that they should retreat, that they um, kind of, you could, you could interpret this scene in, in many ways, but it's kind of like, you know, retreating perhaps. Again, it, the scene is open for interpretation, whether these Spaniards are portrayed as saviors or whether there's this notion that they are themselves going to commit, um, you know, more violence uh, or, or perhaps. And I, I, I think that in the, in the nuanced, uh, and and just concerned with realism, not, not realism, but concerned with, you know, verisimilitude, uh, aesthetic vision of Mel Gibson. I think probably he's trying to say both. You know, there is a, you know, as a, as a religious person, he must think there is a literal salvation, you know, coming to these people by way of Europe and by way of Catholicism. Um, but also, you know, the more secular pro-Western arguments about, you know, civilization is ultimately going to improve for them i think mel gibson as a man of the red and as a catholic is no stranger to that but he also doesn't shy away from i think the notion that this is going to be a very violent new beginning and it's not it's maybe not something that 
the protagonist of, of the movie, which again, we have a very positive take on. So this isn't some racist thing like, oh, he's not ready for it. It's more like, you know, in those ancient medieval pictures where you see people perhaps retreating from uh, the light of Christ or something. That's not always portrayed negatively. There's that sense that something, that, that there could be a new beginning uh, or a salvation that is so awesome that you do have to avert your eyes. Uh, that would be yeah. a very, very pro, very pro European reading of it. Uh, but Again, yeah. that scene, as with so many others, you know, it's it's a little bit for as true a believer as Mel Gibson is. It I do think it's open for interpretation. It's not heavy handed. It's not ideological. It's just trying to portray things as they were, and in the violence and uh, kind of shock and awe that that they you know would have invoked at the time. Absolutely, and in our notes to this episode, we described. Um mel's uh style specifically in the passion but in his other movies too as um war is the father of all things meets mm-hmm. jesus christ right so, that's what's like, amazing um, and yes, the blood revelation meets yeah. the christ and i i think in all of these stories you know in all of these films braveheart i mean it's essentially like this uh idea that like a a christianity with the guts put back in it the blood and guts put into it and at all of these in all of these like climaxes of you know of of blood and and pain uh the william wallace he's disemboweled he cries out he's uh but then then that's not the end of the movie the end is you have um a a kind of like postscript where it shows that uh, Robert the Bruce completed the rebellion that William Wallace started mm-hmm. and he won. And so that moment of sacrifice by William Wallace, suppose the movie frames it in such a way, who knows if this is historically accurate, but it frames it in such a way that the Robert the Bruce, who won the Scottish independence, you know, in 13 something mm-hmm. from the English he uh, was inspired by William's suffering, how much he believed, and that gave him the strength to rally the the you know the remaining clans to you know continue the fight. And so you look in in that, and obviously, so like in in the Passion, the apostles and everyone were you know so um, awestruck by Jesus's suffering and his you know resurrection although that was not really part of the first passion Mm -hmm. they're doing a sequel uh that that his suffering foretold a later glory and so too did william wallace's and so too did um uh, I'm not as um, I did see Hacksaw yeah. Ridge. I don't remember it quite as well, but I think in Apocalypto. So what when you what struck me in this scene is like they're on the beach. They see he's running from the the other tribe who are bad guys. They're going to catch him and kill him. And then he sees the arrival of the conquistadors and the cross. And it's a kind of ominous moment because yeah. you it's a moment of dramatic irony because you the viewer know much more than he does and you know that that cross is bringing civilization but it is also bringing extreme violence and so it's this moment where you know at this moment of kind of climax through i mean in the in the case of apocalypto maybe the real violence hasn't occurred yet 
but it also portends a sa a salvation. And clearly, uh, Mel, uh, as a Christian, and you know, a man of the right, would believe that uh, the conquistadors brought to the uh, native populations here salvation. And yeah, um, yeah so but, that yeah. that too. And in Hacksaw Ridge, I mean, he through his bravery and and what have you, uh, literally saved lives and uh what have you so yeah no i mean that's definitely the theme is um is that kind of i guess we said salvation and triumph but only at the expense of uh sacrifice and, and, and you know to to an extreme extreme degree yeah. um and like in hacksaw ridge if he this guy this pacifist who doesn't want to fight if he succeeded in being a pacifist and never be entering the war, which is what he wanted to do. But they said, no, you got to go to the war. You got to yeah. go. And so he said, well, okay, but I'm not going to carry a gun. I'm not going to kill anyone. And he said, fine, you could be a medic, but you, uh, and if you don't want to carry a gun, that's on you. And so they sent him there, but it's this acknowledgement that like, you have to, you can't skip the blood and guts if you want to get to salvation because if he and hacksaw ridge succeeded and stayed home he um he wouldn't have been on the battlefield he wouldn't have saved all those men who he saved and there would have been certainly no corporal sort of salvation for those men they would be dead and also the spiritual the the great glory and victory of uh, i believe it's uh, desmond uh, das was yeah. the, the soldier from um, Hacksaw Ridge. Mm -hmm. he, um, he would not have achieved that victory if he had denied the, to, if he had denied or refused to descend into the blood and guts of the world. Right. That's a really good way of putting it. And you alluded to it earlier. The vision you get in Mel Gibson is, is you know, Christ meets war is the father of all. It's, you know, um, it's as, uh, has as deep an appreciation understanding and re frankly reverence for violence as books we talk about on this podcast, like blood Meridian, uh, what, you know, maybe heart of darkness. There is this sense that the realm of men is this realm of blood and guts and violence and suffering. And that we can't really see our way out of that. I don't think Mel is a, gnostic you know he's a traditional catholic so he's definitely not um but he he's of that sort of uh christian or catholic ilk where um the appreciation for the degree of suffering in the world is so great that it's almost you know it's it's not gnosticism because that's a critical step of like actually you know believing matter is evil or whatever which he doesn't you know he believes it's redeemed by christ uh but nevertheless um he, he comes close enough uh, you know there, there's there's gradations of, of that within christianity you know how close or far you are from from any degree of gnosticism and you know there's gnosticism that's a whole nother topic of course um there's it, it's generally portrayed negatively uh, and on our side generally portrayed negatively um some some people critics like eric american conservative critic eric vogelin have even described um, you know, have basically described leftism as a form of Gnosticism. I think there's something to that. But then you also have like in Bap's book where he um, talks about how, you know, not that Gnosticism is like metaphysically true. Bap is kind of an, an affirmer of life 
like Nietzsche. Uh, but nevertheless, um, he he talks about how conditions on Earth and conditions of a certain kind of life um, can become so intolerable that the Gnostics are like, uh, you know, kind of functionally correct. So there's this kind of mixed take on this sort of thing. All in all, I think the the overall view is not that any of us should be Gnostics, uh, but that something about those uh, more extreme takes on the meaning of suffering um, kind of may or may not be missing uh, from definitely from modernity writ large and, and even from modern takes on Christianity and Catholicism, there's this kind of the sugarcoating that happens where it, it all boils down to, I love you, you love me, Jesus loves us all um, type sentiments. And there's, you know, it's not, it's not just a problem with Catholicism or Christianity. It's a problem with our entire mo modern lives are kind of insulated from this foundational civilizational violence. While Mel Gibson, while being a very firmly believing Catholic, um, kind of dips into this in a way that we, associate less with religious people associate less with um you know definitely christians and catholics but he's not afraid to take that uh, uh you know st stare into the abyss so to speak i mean you know i don't know where i don't know if cormac mccarthy writer of blood meridian has like explicit i don't think he's an atheist per se but he's not you know he's not like a religious guy either there he's more of there's this understanding that he has this kind of brutal nietzschean and obviously nietzsche being an atheistic figure no doubt uh you know understanding of uh of basically the the void and and the uh the, the role of violence in maintaining civilization and how just kind of unpretty that is um mel has that while uh bringing it into contact with extremely traditional catholicism no easy feat but i really think he achieves it definitely in the passion but also in apocalypto and, and in his other work agreed matt agreed i think another aspect we wanted to talk about was um how in apocalypto he kind of made the uh the movie that the wokesters are always like saying they they're trying to make they're trying to right. um, make a movie that is like has you know no western influence and mm -hmm. is like you know in the the about the lived experience of non-western people and uh well guess what the only guy as far as i can tell who really did that was mel gibson so suck on that wokesters yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's an interesting irony to it. You know, he he makes this movie. He uses indigenous actors. He films on the Yucatan Peninsula, and crucially, uh, which is and this is um I think probably an idea that he originally got from making um the Passion in the original Aramaic, I believe. Oh, yes. But he uh, <clears throat> shoots the entire movie in the Maya, the Yucatec Mayan language, um, which is you know basically an ancient language that I, I there may be people who still speak it i'm not 100 percent. in any case it, it's no easy feat to to have that level of commitment to verisimilitude and to you know really portraying and and there's by, by no means uh a histor any as many historians will tell you did mel do a perfect job of this my understanding is the criticism is that the mayans in apocalypto are portrayed more like aztecs you know what the sure. type of sacrifice human sacrifice the aztecs were engaging in in central mexico at that time as opposed to what the mayans were engaging in 
on the Yucatan Peninsula to most of us, and I think probably to most even indigenous people and Mexicans, what have you, I don't think it really bothers them too much. It's technically a, a something of a factual inaccuracy, but it's not like it's not, you know, the, the, the world that is portrayed is a world that existed, even if it wasn't exactly like that. So, you know, it's not that everything is historically accurate, but but just in yeah. terms of absorbing of embracing it, absorbing you into the world of the movie. Like um, it's it's really close enough. Like it was uh the series enough. Vikings historically accurate. No. None none of these, you know, histories are like a one hundred percent historical. Oh yeah, and by the accurate. way, including Braveheart. Yeah, including Braveheart. Accused, he got accused of Anglophobia, which uh <laughs> who knows uh, and uh, and also had uh, I don't even I haven't even read the laundry list of these, but certain historical inaccuracies. And Mel Gibson has commented like I you know he did them consciously for the sake of the story. Uh, some people have a big issue with that when they're dealing with history. I personally don't. I personally get it. I think that there's emotional truths that can be told in tweaked historical narratives. Uh, no problem with that. And also again to bring it back to the woke issue, like in as far as there are historical inaccuracies in Apocalypto, well. It, I think by and large, they're actually less significant than those in Braveheart. So it's not just a, yeah. it's not just a race thing, you know? Um, but long story short, as you said, there is this uh, tremendous irony that, uh, that he made this movie um, that really kicks a lot of boxes that, you know, a kind of more woke film criticism would claim uh, to be looking for. Um yeah, and, and does so in a way that I can't really think of a similar woke movie that does that. I, obviously, there's movies that are actually made by indigenous people. Whatever, I'm not saying it's the the wokest movie ever, but I, I think that um, it takes a lot of boxes and doesn't get credit for that because it's made by Mel Gibson. Um, yeah, I think one of the uh, the interesting things here is like it's a uh, it's something I've said a lot, and probably you know many. Um, kind of uh, many people on the right have said that uh, they're interested in other cultures. They want to right. see stuff about other cultures. And when like I, when, you know, when people ask me more libs or whatever, well, what's your problem with these, you know, movies that center other cultures? The problem is they don't center other cultures. They center a critique of, um, you know, the hegemonic, uh, or not the hegemonic, a critique of the, uh, of, of white people, really. Basically, <laughs> that's yeah. That's the, the center critique of white men. And that's the, that's the point of these multicultural movies that they produce on Netflix or whatever. And so contrast that with a, um, a movie that is actually about another culture. It's not about white people at all until the end. And this was fascinating to watch. I, I enjoyed watching it. Yeah. Similarly, I enjoyed watching Ran, uh, which was a, a movie, I believe, by Kurosawa. Um, somewhat modeled, yes, on King Lear, but it was about warring Japanese, uh, you know, uh, army factions uh you know <laughs> trying to compete yeah. for the uh the shogunate or, or something like that i don't i don't exactly remember but the point is i think people on our side and the kind of the the good faith um criticism of these woke movies is that they they are not 
portraying a, the authentic experiences of black or brown people or whatever, what they are doing is they're portraying, you know, their grievances uh, against and their agenda against um, white men, frankly. And yeah, no, very often that or they bring in intersectional elements that kind of distract from that. You know, it's going to be a movie yeah. about this group of indigenous people, but it's also feminism or something. Um, listen, I'm not saying there aren't. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned the Kurosawa film. There's, there's, um, there, there's movies that are about, um, that that are about indigenous people. That you know, that that, that, that may be that may be good, other than Apocalypto. But uh, the point, um, the point is that, uh, you, you know, even even though Mel has a a very right of center uh, take on things, um, he still had a commitment to um, understanding uh, the Yucatan tribes and the Mayan civilization on its own terms. I think that's what's critical. Uh, and, you know, there's a lot of that on on the sort of right wing. There's a lot of uh, people who do, have, do in fact, have uh, a great appreciation, arguably a better appreciation uh, for, for other cultures and understanding their customs and ways and, and, le- and honestly learning from those customs and ways when, you know, when they can. Um, that has, you know, you can have that without having globalism, without, I mean, I, mean, I, I think not only yeah. can you have that without having globalism, globalism prevents you from having that. And that's an old saw on the right, on the dissident right. But I think it's true when you kind of employ this form of uh, globalism that uh, denigrates the, the culture of the heritage people founded the nation, uh, it, it will lead to kind of resentment and, and what have you that will make it more difficult to appreciate the cultures of other people. But in a you know in a i think it's it's is actually somewhat right wing and uh mm-hmm. dugan for instance would agree with me that yeah uh, no, absolutely to, he has a to book appreciate, yeah. to appreciate all the different cultures uh in for on their own terms not like you know like how do, do how do they interact with our culture how uh how you know have they been victimized by our right. culture or whatever but more a you know an, a fascination and appreciation for different um you know and that and that impl- that implicitly means that you you uh your you know heritage culture in in the west has a a, a culture of its own and a way of and so that's the thing that you can't say you can't say that there's a there's a swedish culture there's an ethno yes there's an ethnos and but the thing is there yes there are of course there is an ethnos there are many ethnos is and um and i think you have to kind of be on the right to appreciate to make an apocalypto to make a movie that's totally devoid of any sort of grievance any sort of like victimhood whatever and just you know appreciate these people on their own terms yeah and and learn not learn from them in a like oh they knew things we didn't know way per se but more just understand that there's a there's a humility i think you know mel's not to say this ad nauseum mel is a christian mel is a catholic mel has a certain view of those crosses on the sails at the end of the movie but nevertheless and this is explicitly stated by him his purpose in making this movie i I have an actual quote in my notes here that i'll pull 
up, um, Mel said Apocalypto is merely the backdrop um, for a more universal story exploring civilizations and what undermines them. So he's, you know, there's not this sense of, oh, these backwards um, Indians, you know, these backwards these backward indigenous people, you know, did human sacrifice. And then, um, you know, Christianity came in and saved the day. He probably believes that on some level, but he was very explicit that he is that, you know, that, that what can be seen in the Mayan civilization in this film uh, is still relevant to us today. Yes, we have, you know, yes, we are supposedly Christian civilization now, but we are still, uh, we still, you know, we are still susceptible to these old, human um this old human condition of basically needing uh violence uh to uh you know to continue civilization you could this is this would be uh really really out there but you know mel mel as as one of our guys quote unquote he's a man of the right but he was you know somewhat critical uh perhaps even very critical although he didn't say too much about it of the iraq war and that's around the time you know apocalypto came out could you do a in a in a in a leftist college professor way do a quote unquote reading of apocalypto where it's critical of the kind of neocon argument for for war as as a uh you know uh progenitor of civil you know as a as 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 something that keeps the motor of civilization running i think that you you could make you you could kind of speculate uh yeah, i don't think apocalypto is anti war film per se but i think that um and again, I think Mel is not super ideological. He's not trying to. He, he that's that's one reason why I wouldn't exactly make that reading of it as a criticism uh, of the Iraq War and of neoconservatism because I don't think he's trying to be that on the nose. Um, and he definitely, you know, has, has a, he said this like he's he's against in many words. He has an appreciation for warriors and soldiers. Bap would probably say something similar. Um, it's it's a nuanced thing. It's not ideological, but nevertheless, there's a subjective lo look at like one you know in in the life cycle of civilizations they're founded on violence they have a golden age and then as as they start to unravel um kind of new and different forms of violence uh must be you know you know, wind up being executed in order to to preserve that virility um and i i do think i don't know i don't think gibson's read evola or Gwinnon or Dugan, but, you know, he is, maybe it's something inherent to being that level of a traditionalist, in his case, a Catholic traditionalism. Um, there's that understanding of the civilizational cycles, which, again, he explicitly said Apocalypto was about. And isn't uh, not detached because, you know, as a traditionalist, you're no moral relativist, you have a take. But nevertheless, there's this understanding that, yeah, civilizations are going to rise and fall, and there's going to be horrific violence at the outset and at the end. And some of it is going to lead to transcendence and others of it is just going to be ugly. Um, I think you get all of that um, in the sort of picture he portrays. War is the father of all things, including movies. Of significance to the whole kind of woke versus Mel Gibson's approach in Apocalypto um, is the fact that this movie is actually very well regarded in Mexico. It, it did very well. Well, it, it, as with The Passion and other films, it, it did very well in the box office globally, but specifically, it did very well in Mexico and is well regarded even today. I think there was some kind of poll that was taken. It was also screened kind of early on to 
Native American groups in the United States and basically, you know, was was well received. So this is kind of your classic case of um, the, you know, the actual group of people that supposedly this could potentially be offensive to um, actually really, really like it because it kind of meets more their culture where it is, which, you know, in many ways, it's a much more masculinist culture um, and, and any kind of more critical take on it came from, um, you know, just kind of more middling type critics at these sort of mid-tier publications. Um, the, the film, and one of the reasons, and I hate to even admit that this has any bearing on what I choose to watch, but, you know, sometimes when you're, um, you know, going, when, when there's so many movies out there, you do look at reviews. And, and I always tell like, oh, Apocalypto has a 65% on Rotten Tomatoes. I kind of went into my thinking that, oh, it's probably just basically an action movie. Um, but then you look at kind of who gave what reviews and you find out it's not that it's just a lukewarm movie. It's that it was a polarizing movie with some people, um, you know, dismissing it and others praising it. And, you know, the people that praised it uh, were people like Quentin Tarantino, Robert Duvall, Martin Scorsese, Edward James Olmos, and even uh, not exactly a friend of the pod here at New Ride per se, but even Spike Lee, um, yeah. you know, listed as just one of the all-time great films. So that's a pretty diverse, uh, not just racially, but just like in terms of, you know, different d- different people from, you know, big names from across the film industry uh, um, basically thought this was a masterpiece. And, and also more serious critics, A.O. Scott, had a kind of funny quote is like, say what you will about his problems with booze um, and certain groups. <laughs> but, uh, but Mel Gibson, um, you know, is a serious filmmaker. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and it gives the lie to the idea that, uh, that people of color, what, what have you, these, these groups that the, the woke uh, people make movies for that they want those type of movies that they want movies that center like, you know, political correctness and intersectionality and victim narratives. They don't, no one wants that shit. We don't want it. Yeah. They don't want it. And so like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's no wonder that uh, this was popular in Mexico because it's like a a base <laughs> retelling of you know indigenous history in Mexico. Yeah, I mean, and not just indigenous I, history, but how because obviously Mexico is not is no longer explicitly indigenous. It's it, it is it, they do you know the self regard in Mexico. Not that I'm an expert on it. You know there is this understanding that it is the combination of the indigenous people with the Spaniards. Um, you know that's absolutely. accepted. It's not obviously there's kind of more woke elements there as anywhere else and there's a whole complicated history of it but nevertheless there is an understanding you know that that they are the product of this violence um and you know how how do you uh, what, what kind of regard does one have for that uh, you know it's not that you lo- necessarily love every element of the violence but you understand that it is how you came to be um so yeah it's not it's not surprising at all to me uh that it is well regarded in mexico um and yeah, because mexicans today are you know in a way that um you know perhaps um you know it, it's a more healthy understanding of your nation's origins uh they are the descendants of both the conquistadors and the indigenous people and so they have that heritage in them of, uh, of both <clears throat> sides and in in america we well 
we we all know what America is. It's uh, it's an economic zone, Matt. <laughs> yeah, I know. Babylon. Uh, these these days, what would, that's it, kind of it wasn't always. Like, what, it wasn't yeah. always that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah. I fear that is a bit a field for this conversation. A little bit, but but nevertheless, you know, it is interesting to kind of think about these different. Um, you know, what, what would the American version of Apocalypto be? Well, I guess we have it in our Western films, but it's not, um, it's a very different story. We can leave it at that. <laughs> Basically, you know, it has a 65% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, and again, all pretty much all the critics that really matter um, seem to to praise it. It got bad reviews from places like Salon.com, which I, like, honestly news to me that Salon.com even existed in 2006, but I suppose it did. I kind of think of Salon as having risen to much more prominence um, in the kind of golden age of woke. Um, but, you know, they were obviously still there, even making trouble in 2006 and basically of significance to the context in which Apocalypto came out. This came out, um, you know, three, four years after The Passion, and it was at the height of Mel Gibson's controversy. Infamy. Infamy. So, I mean, there really is... And it's no secret that this happens with film criticism. I mean, you know, there's people who are canceled for good and bad reasons, and then the movies they're in get, get pummeled. Um, this is totally an aside, but just as an illustration of the way that this happens, there was a movie from, I think... 2021 uh, called Crisis about the opioid crisis that had Army Hammer in it. And by all accounts, this was a good movie, but it has really shit reviews because it came out like a month after it turned after we learned that Army Hammer uh, is something of a pervert. Um, so, you know, it's not the film criticism world is far from impartial uh, case in point. And I think Apocalypto is a similar case uh, where, you know, I don't even know if we need to rehash uh, the various uh, comments and incidents that led up to Mel Gibson being infamous in around that era of 2006, but it was basically right at the height of that. And it's, it's hard not to imagine that this might not have been like an Oscar contender and close to a hundred percent of Rotten Tomatoes. If it weren't for that, again, the right people still praised it, but there's this sense in which kind of a more striver type class of critics who needed to prove that they were on the right side of the controversy probably laid out um, everything that was problematic and, you know, dragged that Rotten Tomatoes score down. Yeah, um, definitely. But, you know, this kind of brings us to, uh, I guess we'd be remiss not to talk a little bit more about um the kind of more public image issues of of Mel Gibson and and the trouble that he's gotten into, but also kind of he has come back more recently. He's kind of proved to be somewhat uncancelable in certain certain regards. Um, yeah, a real um, uh, triumph in some respects. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, again, I don't I don't know how much we need to rehash all of this. Most people are familiar. Um, Mel I guess uh, one went, went through his own uh, passion story, if you will. Sort of. And well, it's funny you say that. And it's not just <laughs> not just um, in terms of persecution uh, by the media. But um, but even even before that, um, this is kind of just another interesting tidbit about him. Uh, you know, he does have this very, uh, you know, conservative upbringing and outlook. But, you know, he is also a man with demons struggles um he kind of openly has struggled with alcoholism and booze i'm not sure if he's sober now or not i think he probably is because he definitely you know there's 
there's drunk driving incidents and all of this, that, and the other thing. And I, I, you know, I haven't read the full Mel Gibson bio. That could have been an interesting longer podcast where we really delved in sort of art of dark style on, you know, the ins and outs of this guy. Uh, but basically, you know, if you, if you just a cursory glance through his bio, um, you know, he, he was a big Hollywood star in the eighties before we, you know, before, before we had the Mel Gibson that we know today, he was kind of just, um, just one of the main, you know, action heroes of the eighties. And, and with that, he kind of had a much more worldly lifestyle, uh, you know, banging women, boozing this, that, and the other thing, you know, this, this is all part of the Mel Gibson narrative. And uh, apparently there was even times, I don't remember explicitly when this was, but he's on the record as saying, you know, he he contemplated suicide in his 30s, you know, as far from traditional Catholicism as that is. You know, he's someone who ha- has um, really struggled with a lot of the same kind of worldly issues that other celebrities and just other people um, have dealt with, which is another kind of humanizing characteristic. And it's not irrelevant, I think, to his later uh, more uh, religiously and politically tinged controversies because you know he's he's some of some of the comments he's made that have been deemed homophobic, anti-Semitic, etc. Um, you know he's basically <laughs> said under the influence of alcohol. But true. So, I mean that, that one one again not to just rehash the, you know the anyone can find this online you know just go to the controversies section of his Wikipedia page. Um, and, and obviously, as we alluded to earlier with some of the memes, like some of these comments are are uh, are things that people on our side actually appreciate about now. Um, so but not really to say too much one way or the other from my angle. Um, I, I kind of view it uh, as more just interesting coloration of what makes this guy an interesting artist with a pulse, you know, uh, who who has made some mistakes, <laughs> to say the least. Uh, but also rebounded from those mistakes in in an interesting way. Um, by all accounts, like a very loyal uh, friend and a good worker. So he kind of has a lot of allies within the Hollywood system, despite his controversial views. I think that's helped him out a lot. Um, and, you know, as I kind of said earlier, it's it's unclear precisely where he stands with state of a contest and traditional Catholicism, other than to say that... Um, other than that, he is definitely a true believer. But, you know, I think he's someone who has kind of struggled with what exactly that means in his life. And I think that tension is one of the things that has made his life interesting and one of the things that ends up being reflected in his work. Again, it kind of as we talked about, you know, it's it is religious, but it also has a pretty unflinching take on on reality. Um, yeah. Somewhat, interestingly, like a lot of people who are state of a contest and trad cats online sort of came to it as a reaction against something, whether it, you know, a lot of people on our side of things, you know, they maybe decided that the, you know, the modern world um, was totally degenerate, which uh, I don't disagree with. Um, and, and one way to kind of deal with that is to uh, embrace, uh, you know, a very traditionalist outlook. Mel is actually not that Mel is someone who was brought up in a state of a contest tradition. So, you know that yeah. with his father Hutton, you know that that is part of his narrative from birth, and it's kind of more like, you know, he entered the Hollywood system from that place, and then had his experiences with it, and then maybe retreated somewhat back to it, uh, but is always engaged in this process of, um, sort of reconciling, uh, his status as an artist and as a member of the Hollywood 
Hollywood. Not he's not a member of the Hollywood establishment, but he's definitely you know shoulder to shoulder with them. He's an Oscar winner. Uh, reconciling that with an extremely traditionalist outlook, I, I think it's what makes him interesting. I'm not trying to be willfully vague here and not like explicitly, you know, to give my take on exactly the things Mel Gibson has said. But but that yeah. is sort of what what I find more interesting than than the truth value of this, that, or the other thing <clears throat> is how it kind of makes him the artist he is. Yeah. And, you know, crucially, that's the point of our pod. We're not here to litigate, um, you know, history and litigate mm-hmm. the greater political science and, and what have you. We're here to talk about the art and how his views have influenced his art. And uh, crucially, one one way that his dissident views have influenced his art is um, it, um, it made his art less uh, palatable to the mainstream and uh, made it uh, so he had to somewhat, though he is a mainstream director, he um, had to uh, rely upon somewhat um, parallel and outside of the box marketing. And um, the, so some of the same things we have been talking about in terms of how do we write our stuff outside of the system and get it published and get it out there. And so like, yes, the passion obviously is a studio movie. It was made in, in the system, but uh, the marketing push was, you know, probably not what it, it could have been due to, you know, various controversies due to whatever. Um, but yeah. nevertheless, it was a it was tremendous massive. success. Yeah. And I remember it was out, due yeah. to it was due to um, word of mouth and other, you know, I guess, nascent uh, kind of like Internet marketing. So you had people from all around the country, their churches, you know, taking parishioners to see it. You had like yeah. youth groups seeing it. Um, I mean, I think that's how I first saw it, in fact. And I, I actually want to uh, fact check you. Uh, you give my little actually here. Uh, okay, the Passion yeah. is not a studio movie. Oh really? Um, wow. Yeah, no. It, like it, it's it's of that level of budget that you would think, you know. Um, but I think I don't think Mel has. I mean, uh, Apocalypse was was distributed. Uh, sorry, this is like a little bit of a film no, industry no. Yeah. insider's take on things. It was distributed by Apocalypse was uh, distributed by Buena Vista Entertainment. That's owned by Disney. So it's not like the studio system was not involved with movies of this caliber. But these are basically what you'd call uh, not not indie films in like a genre sense, but like, yeah, basically in, it's it's independent cinema. I think every movie he's ever made, um, you know, it's not that it, it's not totally made outside the system because a lot of movies are are independent in this sense. Yeah. It's, you know, made by any number of produce any number of people involved with it are not like explicit dissidents. But it, it is all I, I think every single one of his movies um was produced um you know outside the studio system his his company icon productions obviously they were pretty flush with cash at some point because they were able to make these but they uh it's it's basically an independent uh film production outfit which i think kind of uh uh understood itself or kind of presented itself as an alternative to the studio system so this kind of notion of like make being an outsider looking in i think is probably something that's in you know obviously it's come about more recently with stuff we talk about on our pod people in our sphere and then even in hollywood and i do want to talk about this before we wrap uh you know uh producers i think his name is like dallas salambier or something 
Um, and you know, this, some people think it's the cringe reference, but honestly, I've always all been all for like Ben Shapiro's, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, production. No. Like, I think it's actually, you know, if he has the money to do that, I think great. Like, I think there should be more of that. Um, but, but the point is that Mel Gibson was doing this even as of like Braveheart era, even as of like the mid nineties there, I think this was before his controversy. I think he understood that he, even just for the freedom of it, didn't want to be controlled by the studio system. And I think that's kind of the ethos of, of icon productions and of a lot of the people he's collaborated with are to make these, you know, again, it's not, it's not right-wing art. It's not ideological stuff. It's, um, it's stuff made by people with a conservative or even more libertarian mindset who don't want to be controlled by the censors of the studio system. Um, again, not to not to go too much on the side. That's the one thing I haven't actually seen many of these movies yet, so I don't want to take too much of a stance on it. That's one thing that one reason why I will vouch for like Ben Shapiro's thing is because that too does not seem to be. Uh, it really doesn't seem to be ideological, like dumb right wing, like pro war propaganda or something. Like I, it does seem like he wants to just make uh, an outfit for people who don't want to kind of com- conform um, to the Hollywood ideology, so to speak, you know, he wants to platform um, creators working in, in that space. And I think that's kind of what, 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 what Mel has always been about too, despite having a very particular point of view, um, his, his work and a lot of the stuff that he's been a part of and uh, championed um, it's not the realm of like a, of a super specific religious or political point of view. It's more just for, the independent and independent minded creator. Uh, and that's one yeah. of the basis is I'll really praise it on. And I think that's, I, I think I can speak for both of us, Dan, when it's like, that's what we're all about with regard to literature too. We're not looking to promote um, any, any particular branch of dissident right ideology. It's more just a place where people who, who are not part of the group think can create. I think that's what we've always advocated. Well, I am actually trying to promote Grunhauerism. But uh, other than that, yes, no, I'm uh, I'm very Catholic in my understanding of um, the various ideologies and strains of thought that we are trying to uh, produce and uh, and (laughs) cultivate. So I I want to. um, Yeah. May a thousand uh, uh, shoots uh, sprout from the ground. Yeah. Man, I feel like I went on a bit of it. What, what, what exactly we were talking about? Um... So we were talking about um, Mel as a dissident director and yeah. um, how with the Daily Wire uh, that uh, you respect what he does and mm-hmm. this, you know, kind of tying Mel to our thing and, um, you know, doing it outside of the, the mainstream and yet still finding success. And so, yeah, Mel is kind of the preeminent version of someone who has a foot in Hollywood and a foot in um, uh, dissident media and dissident entertainment. And I think that that will become in the years to come something that uh, is uh, replicated by many. And yeah, you know, totally. Um, I think that's a really good point. And uh, I'll, I'll make this point as well. Like I, as is well known and as uh, it's something I share with a lot of other people in dissident, right, uh, including BAP prominently, like I'm a big like David Lynch fan. And there's this sadness that like, and, or like a Stanley Cooper fan as well. There's this sadness when looking at the movie industry. Like, I don't think we're going to see a David Lynch or a Stanley Kubrick again anytime soon, not only for woke reasons or not even principally for woke reasons as that 
that kind of like artistic filmmaking is no longer um, deemed profitable. Like I'm kind of black pilled about, about that. But then I look at someone like Mel Gibson and also S. Craig Zoller, who we'll talk about in a second. And, you know, I think, I think it's true. I think we're going to see less big artistic directors like Lynch and Kubrick, but uh, outside more like outsider directors who find alternative, you know, kind of funds of cash and are willing to make something that are, that are both artistically interesting, but also, you know, a little more, uh, you know, action flick type that that does have that kind of more baseline commercial appeal. I'm actually pretty white-pilled about that. I think, we, yeah, as you said, I think we're going to see more more Mel Gibsons, more S. Craig Zollers, frankly, uh, you know, and because the caveat I'll add for my you know, Ben Shapiro praise here is like, obviously there, there's certain uh, types of movies and types of messaging that we would probably want to see in movies that he himself would censor. So it's not, it's far from a perfect thing. I just respect that it is an outsider system type thing, but I think we're going to see more of it is what I'm trying to say. I don't know if Amanda Milius will be the one or what, but I think that this model of, uh, you know, independent film but not like micro budget independent film like real like you know teal bucks type type stuff um coming in and and producing these alternative movies that are both entertaining and have uh messaging that is uh that is uh refreshing versus you know refreshing in light of of the of the constant hollywood messaging i think we're gonna see more of it I, i'm i'm much more white-pilled about that absolutely i mean it's just it it stands to reason because there's a, a hunger and an appetite for it. There are, you know, uh, disenfranchised writers who want to do it. And, you know, frankly, the only weak link right now is funding. But uh, if, you know, we can begin to get more, uh, more in the way of funding from our friendly billionaires or mm -hmm. uh, even, you know, even, you know, people like, uh, like us or, you know, yeah definitely it's also putting our money where our mouth is and yeah, you know, definitely putting our money where our mouth is it's also worth noting um it's not just like right-wing investors and filmmakers we need we do need that we need visionaries who, who 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 carry that torch forward like um like zoller like gibson but once you kind of build it and then you can't sorry build it and then they will come because when you look at the credits on but, you know, obviously Apocalypto and the Passion were kind of made before Mel was as controversial. But like on Hacksaw Ridge, for instance, like, yeah, you have some sort of, you know, more right wing guys involved. But you also just have, you know, at the end of the day, this is what I'm trying to say. At the end of the day, the film industry is still a business. So if you can kind of get like 30, 40 percent of the way there in terms of funding and in terms of like having a script and good attachments, um, then there are people who are not necessarily right wing, but who are nonpartisan enough uh, and pro art enough that they're going to invest. Um, yeah. So I guess that's, I'd look at, I'm not trying to give economic advice to anyone. Um, I only know so much about this, but I, I guess that's my point. It's, it doesn't have to be totally made from scratch on Twitter. It just needs to, you know, the, the right connections need to be made. And then um, the general apparatus of, Absolutely. Uh, you know, the, the film and the independent film world, which is basically I mean, just a the, lot of producers. Go on, sorry. The caveat that I would add here is this depends on like, well, exactly how right wing is your movie. If oh, of course. your movie is like, um, you know, uh, uh, mm -hmm. Apocalypto uh, or something, that's that's fine. If your movie is like the how the... Yeah. yeah, or I was going to say how the 12th Army escapes, uh, you know, burning Berlin. But actually, that might be fine. Who knows? 
how yeah. um, how essentially the the Wehrmacht saved uh, a lot of civilians and led them to the American side. And as I'm saying this out loud, like, yeah, I mean, you would face some pushback, but uh, I don't know. Maybe that could actually sell. Who knows? Uh, I mean, uh, yeah, there was a, a rumor kicking around that uh, Gibson was was attached to a movie called Rothschilds a few years back. <laughs> well, I, I could see that, that being a little uh, yeah, more uh, I, tricky. I, I, to this day, I'm not sure if that was real or if that was uh, basically fake news. Um, but either way, you know, there, there's envelopes to be pushed, uh, but... <laughs> there's envelopes that that may or may not be pushed but i think at the end of the day if you make something and i really do think uh with one or two stylistic exceptions like pretty much mel has always remained true to that more artistic vision it hasn't kind of um crossed over into the realm of making propaganda or something oh yeah uh, absolutely like so i think if you keep within art. that realm yeah if you keep within that realm um i i think that you know, you can make artistic products that are going to be nuanced enough to, you know, obviously they'll generate controversy, but they're not, they're not going to be like, you know, banned films. They're, they're not going to be on that level. And they're, they're going to be something that you, that respectable people can attach their name to. You're um, not going to have to watch um, them on Odyssey. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that pretty much stands for the, uh, the work of, of Gibson as well as Zoller. Um, Maybe we should do uh, another episode on S. Craig Zoller another oh, day. Oh, I think we will at some point. I, I think we will, but maybe we could just tease it here, um, you know, because Mel is also in Dragged Across Concrete. Um, yeah. Yeah, I guess I'll say this. Like, I mean, that more, more recent movie than than Apocalypto, obviously. And, uh, you know, the view on not just the take on masculinity and violence in movies like uh, Brawl and Cell Block 99 and Dragged Across Concrete. uh but but uh, there's other good stuff in there as well. I mean, there's kind of negative views on abortion and on uh, and 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 more traditional takes on gender roles. I mean, these are movies that really um, bring that stuff to the forefront in a way that if you haven't seen them, you'd be surprised to know that um, you know they're not exactly mainstream movies, but they're not so far off. Kind of like Gibson's. Yeah. Uh, you know, th these movies are getting made, so there's kind of a white pill to be had there. Yeah, no, I mean, it's uh, Zoller is definitely a white pill that his stuff is coming out mm -hmm. and that he's producing this work. And uh, yeah, more so than Mel, I, I would say that Zoller and we'll I think, as you said, we'll do an episode on him at some point because he really deserves his own episode. Yeah. But uh, yeah, he is, I would say, like a real uh, alt-right filmmaker. Yeah, I mean, um, who yeah. like is, you know, like. So Mel is just, you know, he's more of a dissident because of the things he says and his, he depicts a, a very traditionalist message. Zoller is, uh, you know, explicitly uh, anti-woke or explicitly like somewhat alt-right in his movies. And as, yeah. as a result, you know, it's, he's like probably, I think the par excellence, the, director who is like producing these films that are like no holds barred kind of and it's like it's very and this is ties into another theme we were going to touch mm -hmm. on he uh his films are very uh film noir like oh definitely pulpy. especially dragged across and, that. yeah and on our side we have a lot of guys who are into the noir into pulp we're gonna um have uh you know some uh 
connection, some, some frankly episodes coming up with the guys from Apocalypse Confidential and they're heavy on the, the pulp theme. So uh, yeah, this is something that our guys like. And um, this is something that S. Craig Zoller delivers. No, very much. And also, I I hate to even sound like a, a woke to bring this kind of stuff up, but just to illustrate that this isn't all about this doesn't I mean, I'm, I'm using identity as sort of identity politics type maneuver here to illustrate that actually identity politics are less relevant. But as Craig Zoller, interestingly, he is atheistic, but uh, of Jewish heritage. So, you know, it goes to show it's not all about these kind of narrow um religious and political categories of we need to explicitly make this explicit statement. No, we're just looking for art that is made by people, um, again, that have this more realistic take on things. Um, so yeah, we'll definitely do Zoller another day. Uh, you know, we're a literature podcast, but we like doing these movie, movie pods, uh, from time to time. Um, you know, maybe one day we'll also do Gosling. We've talked about Ryan Gosling as a, as a cultural thing. And then another literally me. Uh, episode yeah he's yeah yeah maybe when barbie comes out um and uh no i another name that seems worth mentioning in all this is vince vaughn who's kind of one of these uh he's the star of uh brawl and cell block 99 he's also in dragged across concrete he's also in hacksaw ridge uh vince vaughn is one of these interesting guys you know great actor of course um you never really hear him talking about politics but if you look at who he knows you kind of know he's like one of our guys yeah absolutely He's I, I think he's it's known in Hollywood that he's uh, somewhat right wing. Yeah, which definitely. In Hollywood is a very sliding scale, but for sure. Yeah. Well, on that note, we may be about ready to wrap. Um, if you'll indulge me and, and, and Dan, I'm just kind of saying this to you for the first time, too. Yeah. Um, but I, it's because I don't think we're ever going to do a full episode on this. Um, I just kind of feel like throwing this out here. Uh, before the end i just saw tar yesterday have you heard much about tar i have heard about it i've wanted to see it i haven't seen it yet it's uh it's about cancel culture in some sense sort of um yeah i'll just kind of throw it out there that's that's not um a gibson type movie uh it was well it is actually also again technically by the same notion that that gibson's movies are an independent feature um we'll see i'm definitely really i think that if it's nominated for best picture at the Oscars. I think it just won the LA critics circle award for best picture. I don't usually follow award season stuff. I'm, you know, I think it's kind of a joke, especially now, but yeah. I'll just say that if Tar does end up winning the Oscar, which it probably won't, but if it does, um, that will be a very hopeful sign um, because yes, it's about count cancel culture, but similar to kind of what we've said about Gibson and others on this pod. Um, it's not some heavy handed, like, uh, weepy story about this is what happens when you get canceled. Rather, it's a portrayal of like a very morally nuanced character. She's not straightforwardly a hero. It's open for interpretation, but nevertheless, it um, it delves into themes about cancel culture and about Me Too that are, you know, they're portrayed objectively. Like these aren't. Uh, it's not like it's not straightforwardly for or against it. I, I wouldn't say, but it, it portrays it in a way where. Uh, you know, one can draw their own conclusions. Um, but basically, uh, uh, you know, it, it's about a one of the, the leading, you know, concerts, uh, conductors, uh, you know, um, in the world. And she ends up getting first canceled for having kind of uh, 
anti-woke take at her Juilliard classes and then later uh, canceled for the perhaps somewhat better reason of grooming young women. She is, in fact, a lesbian. But I think is kind of brilliant about the film and what my, my reading, and maybe I'll write this as a review, maybe I'll write it as a tweet, but I also kind of just wanted to say it here while it's fresh. I kind yeah. of think that you could read, and again, not to be, not to overly heap praise on this, we're talking about something that's like intellectual dark web tier, okay? But it kind of, in my opinion, it in many ways is a defense of Western civilization um, told through the narrative of a lesbian, which is kind of a brilliant sidestep. Obviously, you're not, no, no movie about like just some guy who got me tooed and, and having a, a morally nuanced portrayal of him. No movie like that would, would get made or praised. When you have it as a lesbian, it's kind of this interesting pivot. Uh, but nevertheless, you know, I think it really comes through. It's kind of this, um, it, it delves into uh, the changing face of the way things like classical music are regarded. And even though the main character, Lydia Tarp, played by Kate Blanchett is, you know, it's again, it's not some hero worship of her, but I think what comes through ultimately is a defense of the sort of Western gaze or the Western, you know, take on music, um, despite all of the morally, you know, nuanced elements of it. You know, she is kind of predatory, but I, I what I got from the movie, and again, open for interpretation, I'm looking at it from a right-wing perspective, is um, this incredible um, and ultimate uh, defense of Western civilization against the sort of forces that are now degrading it. But I don't know, maybe that's a bit of an aside. It just, the, the thoughts are fresh. I think it's another example of a kind of based movie. And I just want to put out there that yeah. if, if we, the more rewards we see this win, kind of the, the more hopeful it is that this vibe shift we talk about is actually um, kind of hitting in the film industry. Definitely. We have uh, White Lotus, we have uh, we have this. We have um, you know various uh, other artists out there, and we have uh, artists who are like truly out there, like S. Craig Zahler doing their thing on the outside. And there's no one you know one way to uh, win, one way to change the tide. But I, I think mm -hmm. uh, the best way is to be kind of like attacking on all fronts and. This is uh, a way that, you know, if people within the system are able to make movies that are critical of this um, yeah. hegemonic liberalism, that's, that's great. If, you know, you, I, you're going to form parallel institutions, that's like, like Zoller, like to an extent, like Gibson, that's great. But the, uh, the most important thing is that um, good art gets made. And absolutely. That's, uh, you know, hopefully what's on the horizon and what's happening yeah. today. Absolutely. All right. Well, I think that about wraps us up. Here we go.